When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's been a long journey, but here we are. About to make my uterus a wonderful little home for our very first embryo transfer attempt. Right. We've only got two embryos and thus two chances to get pregnant. So we need to give Anna a bunch of injections and pills. Just like with everything else in IVF, it's all about tricking her body into thinking everything is totally chill and we're just two normal people having unprotected sex. Of course, there's no sex involved at all. Ever. This is IVFML Episode 5, Scared Shitless. After about 10 days of shots to the butt and more pills than I've ever taken in my life, we were ready for our first embryo transfer. The procedure is surprisingly simple. The doctor just spitballs an embryo right into Anna's uterus with a big straw and tries to get it to stick to the exact right spot. When we get to the doctor's office, they lead us into a little closet of a room. We have to use this tiny room because it's connected to the embryo lab. Picture me legs spread with my bare genitals facing the door. I told Anna that she looked dignified. I knew better, of course. I think even my doctor gasped when she came in for the first time. I swear she was like, ah, badge. Again, the room is so tiny, she basically opened the door to my vagina. The embryo is brought in in this big glass case on a metal cart, and it's actually really impressive and sciencey looking. It sort of looks like something they'd keep an infinity stone in in a Marvel movie. Instantly, the entire room went silent. It's like we all instinctively knew that we were in the presence of this incredible potential. Now, much like an IUI, the doctor inserted a catheter through my cervix until it reached the top of my uterus. Then the doctor slowly pulled the trigger on the release, which sends the embryo, covered in this white protein blanket, squirting into Anna's uterus. They told us to picture the embryo as a pearl getting stuck on a piece of peanut butter toast. We nicknamed that Pearl Yoshi, so we'd have something to call our imaginary embryo friend. And what happened next? Let's let us tell us. Oh good, a gimmick! By the time we attempted this first embryo transfer, We'd been infertile for three years, and we'd already started talking about doing this podcast. So we started recording ourselves in the days and weeks following our implantation. That's what you're about to hear. You might occasionally hear some weird sounds because some of these were made while driving. Hi, it's Anna. And it's Simon. And it's Monday, July 25th, the first day that we're allowed to test after our frozen embryo transfer. Um, It's 5.30 a.m. We scheduled this for 6 a.m., but... You had to pee really, really bad. I know, and the pregnancy test needs the first morning pee. I'm sorry I woke you up so early. Okay. Okay, so we're sitting here with the pregnancy pee stick, and I'm going to pull back the tape to reveal the display. Mm. And it's... We're pregnant. Okay, all right. We're pregnant. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. Okay. Thank so, you. as promised, here's going to be my... I'm very relieved that it says uh, pregnant, but we've been pregnant twice before. So, our big thing now is the beta level test. No, I know that this is going to be the one, Simon. <laughs> this is going to be the one that works. 
so it's Monday night, 11.12 p.m. Thursday is our first ultrasound for this pregnancy, and Anna just said to me, I see bloody discharge. I'm five weeks one day right now. I'm really scared because I saw a little bit of blood um, in my underwear and when I wiped, and I've been just mildly cramping all day as if it was almost a mild period and I guess I thought the whole day that that was a good thing because it maybe felt like my uterus was expanding but maybe maybe I'm cramping to bleed um well we don't know what's going on we're both scared this is off script from both of our previous pregnancies um both of those miscarriages there were no physical signs before um, this could be nothing. We're both also frantically Googling for reassurance online, which is sort of an empty... There is no reassurance. Yeah. So I guess tomorrow you're going to call the doctor's office and I don't know what they'll do or if I have anything to say. Um, we're both scared. I've just told my parents about the pregnancy, you know, in a cautious way. Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, and I feel like, I feel a little abused if this miscarries so promptly after that. Um, I hope that it is not. I hope that our little Yoshi is continuing to grow and that this is just, you know, blood from an irritation or something. I don't know. I shouldn't have gone on the treadmill today. Well, you didn't go. You did exactly what the doctor told you to do. Ugh. <sighs> What if it jostled? I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Um, I'm scared. I'm scared too. I don't know. I don't know, darling. Let's just hold each other and go to sleep. Hey, it's Anna. I'm driving home from work. Today I'm five weeks, three days, and it's the day before our first ultrasound. This is now the second time I've bled and the spotting has progressed from brown spotting to bright red blood. And honestly, I'm really scared. I'm also confused, like, this is the strong embryo. This is the one that's chromosomally normal. This is the one that tested normally on the beta levels. And am I not even gonna make it to our very first ultrasound to see where it is in the uterus? I, I feel all kinds of fucked up. I, no, I'm not entitled to anything, but I also feel like maybe God hates us and doesn't want us to have a baby, and it's just the worst feeling. I am trying to work, and I'm trying to remain positive and open-minded, but this is taking up a lot of my brain, and... All I want to do is just lay in bed and cry and just wish that my life wasn't, that this wasn't a part of my life. At this point, we went in for an early ultrasound. The doctors couldn't explain my bleeding, but everything looked on track with the pregnancy. They told us to wait and see if the bleeding stopped. It didn't. We did another recording the night before our six-week ultrasound. Hey, you're kind of freaking out. Are you all right? No, I'm not at all. 
What's going on, love? Well, the spotting and the bloody discharge never stopped, and tomorrow I feel like at our ultrasound we're we're not going to see a heartbeat. Well, but darling, you know the the doctor said we shouldn't worry about the blood too much, and you know there's been no other indications. You've been nauseous every morning or nauseated every morning, which is a good sign, and. And I, I, I get it. I've, I'm scared and I'm anxious too. But I don't feel like there's anything specific except just our just general fear. You know, like we're not, we're not really. I don't know. There's no joy in this process. Hmm. Well, I think we're just so anxious because this is the point. This is the point in the process where, you know, we've lost pregnancies. Where we, um, the second pregnancy, we had a bad result. But that doesn't mean we're gonna have a bad result this time. I know you're scared. I'm scared too, darling. I wish that babies could be grown in a glass jar. Well, there's by experts. <laughs> well, you know, if stuff doesn't work out, there's always adoption, and the and there's. I, but I don't think we should assume things aren't gonna work out. You know, it's like. Look, I'm anxious and nervous too. But if we're if we need to be sad because there's a bad result, we can do it tomorrow. We don't need to do it now when we haven't done the test yet. And then you had just gone dead inside. Yeah. And we're like this. I woke up next to a robot that was just like knew that the baby was dead and it was just like planning the gravestone. Kind of. <laughs> but how do you feel now? I mean, I get to tell what we saw the the heartbeat and it was so good. It was like it, it was, was so bouncy, up and down, 124 beats per minute. Yeah. Uh, it looked so big. It looked so good. Yeah, it was the, it was exactly what I wanted because. I felt like, you know, I, I still am always replaying the bad ultrasounds in my head and the bad ultrasounds, there was like that queasy feeling of like, this doesn't look right, this doesn't look right, and it was like very instant in those, and this one it was like instantly like, look at that, you can see, you can see the heartbeat right away, you can just see it, you know, jumping up and down, little Yoshi. Um, I'm so happy. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad, Diane. You seemed really shocked afterward. Like you seemed to still not be processed. You, and you kept saying, you know, that you that you were uh, you didn't feel the pressure in your uterus anymore, and that you were sure it was. So many things change in my body every day that I'm not sure what to think and decide. Um, we're we're still going to do one next week, though. Um, and you're still bleeding, which is still a little scary. But the doctors, I think she knows that we're mental cases. <laughs> she's she's being very trying to be very comforting and telling us you know that uh, you know a pregnancy with a heartbeat at a, we were at 124 beats per minute. Um, hold on. Anyway, it's all good for now. I wonder how long it'll take for me to start freaking out again. The answer was one day, 
One day, after our good ultrasound, I got a call from Anna while I was at work. Her bleeding had gotten much worse. I left immediately and started the hour drive home. Please, no, 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 no. Please, no. Please don't do this to us. I just, I can't take this. I please, we can't come this far. We can't see the heartbeat yesterday and then lose the pregnancy tonight. Please, I don't want this. But again, things calmed down. Anna's bleeding slowed, and we started to rack up normal ultrasound appointments. Anna even started making fun of my anxiety again. Hey, um, we just got back from our seven-week, five-day scan, and Yoshi's heartbeat is really strong at 150 beats per minute. That's right on target to what we wanted her to be. And I just wanted to share with you guys that before every ultrasound, Simon gets stress diarrhea. I'm glad that this is part of the podcast. This is nice. I think everybody's going to really enjoy. Uh, <laughs> so when does the stress diarrhea hit? Um, the morning of the ultrasound, I wake up and my body just feels so tight and tense that it feels like I'm trying to turn coal into a diamond inside my gut. And I just like feel, I don't know, just and then the closer and closer we get to the actual scan, the tenser and tenser I get. And then once we've had the result, then everything sort of relaxes. So we're talking about liquidy poop, right? Um, yes. Uh, I, more of, you know, like a small series of explosions. Oh my god. Over and out. Woo! That was an intense roller coaster ride of anxiety, blood, and shit. So. Four months later, what does it feel like for you to listen to this stuff? I can't help but laugh at how miserable and scared we sound. On the other hand, I have to admit I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes because I'm hearing genuine terror in our voices. I'm glad that you got to hear all of that because I think in recent months, you have tried to rewrite history that I was this anxious mess and you were always so confident. Oh, wait, hold on. We, we should tell people what's going on. Well, Yoshi is still here. I'm almost 27 weeks pregnant and she's testing normally. I finally stopped bleeding. It turned out that it was a bunch of hematomas, which is when blood gets trapped between the placenta and the uterus. So we are deep into uncharted territory. We're still anxious and scared, but we're sliding into the third fricking trimester. We're buying baby stuff. The big milestone for me is that I'm almost done knitting my blanket. I started this blanket three pregnancies ago, and after every miscarriage, I just put it back in the closet unfinished. Every time I work on it now, I think about what it would be like if I actually got to finish it and give it to my child, and what it would be like if I didn't get to finish it. Sometimes I still doubt that Yoshi will be born. I get scared a lot, and I tell myself that once I reach the second trimester, or once we do the 20-week anatomy scan, or once we reach viability, I'll stop feeling this way. Then those milestones pass, and I'm still terrified. Yeah, I feel the same way. I actually talked to one of our interview subjects about this a few weeks ago. Nam Tran. Right. He and his wife Aubrey also went through miscarriages, just like us, and are also pregnant again, just like us. After the break, I'm going to talk with Nam about what it's like to be pregnant after loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm back with Nam Tran. Nam and his wife Aubrey have been through several miscarriages, just like me and Anna, and are also pregnant again, just like me and Anna. I asked Nam whether those past miscarriages have made him feel more anxious during this new pregnancy. So, Nam, thanks for being with us again. I wanted to ask, do you feel more anxious, you think, than you would in a pregnancy without having had a miscarriage before? Do you feel more anxious after loss? 100% more anxious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Aubrey and I actually had to have a a conversation and a very conscious effort to say, Mm -hmm. we have to find a way to not let this kind of steal our happiness from this experience because I think if we didn't make a conscious effort to do it mm-hmm. I know for me personally I would not be celebrating any of the milestones I feel like I feel mm-hmm. like as happy as I am now it's a lot more fear the yeah. fear outweighs the happiness a lot and I have a feeling it's going to be that way until I have babies in my arms Listening to Nam, I think it's really similar to what you and I are going through now. Yeah, but there was also something else you talked about with him in that interview. You talked about the way you felt trapped in the memories of the first miscarriage. Here's that part. I I feel like I think you and I have talked about this uh, off recording at one point about, you know, the process of going through a miscarriage where you're with the ultrasound tech and your world falls apart in a, a minute. And every time Anna feels a weird cramp, she has a weird discharge, anything's wrong, I feel like there's a cliff right next to me. And all of the stuff that I went through in that ultrasound room and the months after that, I feel like, oh God, am I about to fall off the cliff again? Yes, sir. You nailed it. I I get the pit in my stomach Mm -hmm. um, and I just am silent for a minute. And, you know, she... It's it's really really tough, and it, it, from our perspective, you can just see the toll that it takes on on her too, mm-hmm. and the fact that every little thing that they tell you is normal, but they've told you it's normal before, mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. And yeah, so from from my end, every time she goes through that and she says something to me, I'm just like, oh god, here we go again. Like this is this is going to be bad, and so yeah. we just have to live with that and and do our best to suppress it, I guess, as much as possible until we get to the point where it's like, okay, this is actually happening. Mm. Um, but it's it makes you a wreck, man. I mean, I, I'm tense most of the time <laughs> yeah. because of that. I sometimes sort of have this delusional thing in my head, and I'm curious whether you share it too as someone who's gone through miscarriage, where I imagine myself, when I have my child someday... I am going to love that child more than other people love their children because I have lost. (laughs) My love will be deeper. 
My love will be, you know, love in the time of cholera. My, my <laughs> love will be tinged with sadness and thus so much more beautiful than other people's right? love. Do, I, you, do you feel that? I totally understand that. Yeah, you just kind of feel like you people who haven't gone through IVF, you haven't paid your dues like we have. So you don't understand what we actually went through to do this. You guys just slept together one night and it happened. So you can't possibly get... Obviously, that's ridiculous. But that's how we feel sometimes, you know, especially yeah. when you're in in that frame of mind where you feel like things are really unfair mm-hmm. and then you picture that it's kind of like and but it has the uh, a different effect on me too as i kind of feel like you know if and when we are mm-hmm. able to have kids things that bother other people are mm-hmm. not gonna bother me you yeah. know what i mean like your kids getting messy or whatever they ate something they weren't supposed to or whatever and and aubrey has told me that from parents that she knows um mm-hmm. who've gone through the same thing it's like yeah, they're a mess. They got dirt all over them, but who cares? Like, <laughs> it's I, it's not a big deal. I worry that I would not operate that way. That I would be like <laughs> hypersensitive. You know, yeah, that young yeah. lady. Do you know what hell we e- went through to exactly, bring you onto yeah. this plane of existence? There'll probably be more than a few times you pull that card, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I I totally get it, and it's probably going to be a little bit of both, right? I mean, I would imagine, but I think that you do feel like that, and you know it's unfair to people because. Mm-hmm. It's not their fault. It's not our fault. It's just we do kind of feel like we have to go through mm-hmm. every little step like this, and it's so much harder than than it is for most yeah. people. So I have a friend who's having a pregnancy around the same you know time as me and Anna, and he was very scared to tell us about his pregnancy because of the miscarriages we've been through, and he knew all the hell we'd been through. And I wonder, do you have any sense of friends being a little more cautious about your pregnancy than they might otherwise be because they know you've had miscarriages and they don't want to they don't want to step on something. I know Aubrey has specifically told me that she's come across that in um in work and her her feeling to me and what she's told me is that's worse. Mm-hmm. It's worse when you can tell when people are specifically trying to avoid you or avoid mm-hmm. the the subject of their pregnancy because they know what you've gone through and I can't really explain it and why it's so much worse, but it's it's almost like an elephant. It creates like this elephant in the room, mm-hmm. and I think it brings back that that feeling of shame almost because mm-hmm. you can't talk about it or they don't want to talk about it. So, it, but it kind of falls in line with with everything else is that you don't realize until you're going through it how it feels when when somebody's like that. So you don't. I mean, it comes mm-hmm. from a good place. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They don't want to bring up bad feelings mm. so they don't talk about it but it, it it makes it worse in that sense so yeah it's they're trying to be sensitive but there's really nothing they can do to help how you feel about it anyway so mm. it, it would almost be better just to to open it up and talk about it do you plan on doing a pregnancy announcement or anything like that you know posting on facebook we're having a baby and those sort of things we do so what we're planning now is um we're actually going to go take pictures this weekend um mm-hmm. for the announcement but we're just sending it out to everybody that donated to our mm-hmm. GoFundMe um oh, you because, have investors in this baby exactly, I forgot about yeah, that yeah it belongs to the village <laughs> um so that's really all we're planning on doing and then past that in terms of like telling everybody I don't know what our plans are for that but mm-hmm. we're going to send cards to people who donated because obviously we appreciate it and then we're Mm. gonna tell them you know it worked basically Mm. and this is what you donated for so um that's really the only concrete plans yes anna and i have felt a lot more like we just want this baby to like ghost into the world (laughs) like we don't like when we see other people 
posting pregnancy announcements. This is not a criticism of you. Like because of our loss, we feel like, are you crazy? Right. Like we're not like we we. I don't know if we're afraid of like showing pride before God and then Him taking the baby from us. Uh-huh. I, that's that's a really creepy, weird way to talk about it. No, but, I, I but it's I, I have that we have that feeling of like people will know that we have a baby when they see us with the baby in person. And there will be probably the announcement of this baby's existence will be when this podcast comes out and people will have to listen to this podcast, which none of our friends will do. Yeah. It seems like a little superstitious, right? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And and I, a- I totally get it. I'm the same way. That's part of the reason why I didn't want to do this whole gender reveal thing is she, I, I completely understand where she's coming from. But from my perspective, it's like we've gone through so much just to get to this point. I just want to keep it to ourselves mm-hmm. for as long as we can especially since when we got pregnant in the past we were super excited so we mm-hmm. included people in it probably earlier than we mm-hmm. should have or normally would have and then it, it went to hell whoa listening to all that fear and anxiety makes me think that you and i need help specifically professional help is this a segue yes Here to talk more about how pregnancy can be affected by infertility and miscarriage is Dr. Anna Gleiser, a psychiatrist at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, and founder of the educational site Mind, Body, Pregnancy. She specializes in helping patients struggling with infertility, pregnancy, miscarriage, and postpartum depression. And in 2017, she's launching a private practice focusing on the mental health of these patients. So, Dr. Glazer, how is pregnancy a different experience for women who have had miscarriages or who have experienced infertility? It's definitely a different experience for these individuals for a number of reasons. There is a lot of worry with each step of the pregnancy, each week and and each trimester, that something bad is going to happen. And that can lead to a lot of compulsive checking, a lot of compulsive Googling, um, a lot of extra phone calls and seeking reassurance that what's going on is supposed to be happening. And small things that might otherwise be sort of ignored if you didn't have an experience of a previous loss become something that you no longer can ignore. A lot of times what also happens is there's a little bit of of detachment. If, If you're someone who's previously gone through a pregnancy and lost the pregnancy, that's a really significant and, and powerful grief process that you go through. And so one thing that moms do is try to protect themselves from having to go through that again. And so sometimes the bonding and the attachment that takes place during pregnancy is delayed because mom wants to sort of protect herself just in case something like that happens again. I love what you said about a mother protecting herself in a new pregnancy after loss or infertility. I know that when we had our first IVF transfer, I was sort of thinking of this little embryo as like an honored guest in our home. Mm -hmm. And she's free to come or go as she pleases, but I don't have any control over it. And um, she has her own mind and she does what she wants. And then when she sort of stuck around after the second trimester, I was like, oh, maybe she's a little friend. She's a little friend that I'm carrying around with me all day. And and now that I'm at 25 weeks, it's this is the first time I'm starting to think to myself, oh, is this my baby? Is this my baby girl? But it's, it's taken 25 weeks to get to this point. And that's actually another reason why um, families who conceive after a period of infertility or loss, it can take longer to 
share with friends or family or, or co-workers that you are pregnant because, again, you want to keep it to yourself a little bit longer, trying to decide whether that little visitor is going to stay or not. So what are some of the uh, thoughts or experiences behind these anxious patterns? A lot of times it's because a woman has kind of had that experience of going through a really rough time to conceive or a really long time that these patterns are related to brain changes. That's what depression and that's what anxiety are. They're, they're neurochemical changes in the brain that take place based on our past experience, based on our biology. And that's one of the reasons that psychotherapy and medications work is they both change that brain chemistry so that a woman can actually enjoy the pregnancy and the postpartum period. What are some productive ways of dealing with stress and anxiety during pregnancy after a loss or infertility? So you mentioned uh, therapy and medication. One of the things that can be hard is seeking the treatment in the very beginning, first, even knowing that this is something that can happen. And secondly, a lot of women who've gone through a lot to get pregnant sometimes feel like, you know, they don't have the right to feel anxious or they don't have the right to feel depressed. They should be really enjoying this because they worked so hard to get to this point. And so that's another reason why treatment is sometimes delayed. But there's definitely a lot of benefit to psychotherapy. And that can be one on one. It can be in a group. It can be all different kinds of types of psychotherapy, ones that focus on changing one's thoughts, ones that focus on behavior. There's a lot of different kinds. And then psychopharmacology, so medication treatment for more moderate to severe instances of anxiety and depression. We found that that can be really effective both during pregnancy and postpartum. And there's a lot of relatively safe treatment options for women who are pregnant and breastfeeding. And then self-care. I mean, that's a really big category and includes things like mindfulness and meditation, exercise, yoga, taking care of oneself. So getting a massage, getting acupuncture, taking time with one's partner and making sure that you know, you're on the same page in terms of what you guys are going through. All of that has been shown to be helpful for women who are struggling with depression, anxiety, and general worry during pregnancy. You had mentioned that sometimes women don't feel like they deserve to wallow or engage in anxiety or depression. I also sometimes felt like um, if I were ever truthful about these feelings, it would make other people feel uncomfortable. Like I'd have close friends who'd ask me how the pregnancy's going, how's the baby doing? Um, you know, they just want to talk about cute things like baby names and registries. And I would, I would sometimes like if I was in a pissy mood, I'd be like, it's a fetus, not a baby. <laughs> or I would be like, she'd, she'd be like, how's the baby doing? And I'd be like, I don't know, probably dead. Yeah, exactly. And I think that actually speaks to the broader experience of, of women, even who may not necessarily have gone through miscarriage or infertility treatment, but have symptoms of anxiety or depression during pregnancy, where society has created this expectation that pregnancy is always magical, and mom's are always glowing and happy, and it's this fantastic time. And it really isn't for a lot of women. And so there's a lot of stigma. I mean, there's stigma with mental illness in general, but particularly during pregnancy, that's supposed to be this magical, happy time. So it can be really hard to express to other people that you're not going through a magical, happy time, that it's a little bit more of a struggle. I think the other thing to keep in mind is also the 
postpartum experience for for women who've gone through a process of infertility or miscarriage, gone through pregnancy and then deliver, because I think there's also a lot of specific expectations of a, about parenthood and how you're supposed to feel because this baby is very obviously so valued and so wanted, there can also be heightened you know, vigilance and kind of that helicopter parenting style, which can be certainly something to be aware of. And so I think it's important to think about not just the pregnancy, but also the postpartum period. And how would a pregnant woman start marshalling her support forces now before she gives birth? I think it's important to make sure that those support systems are definitely in place before the postpartum period because you're not really going to have time to figure all of that out when there's an infant in the house to try to take care of or, or twins. And so I think making sure that you have the psychotherapy piece in place and the mom's group in place and the family if available in place and the partners on the same page and all of that happens well before the delivery. Whatever other support you're going to have, a doula, what have you, is in place before delivery because it's really hard to seek those resources out when you're in the throes of those initial weeks postpartum. So from that interview, it sounds like we're kind of normal. Yes, disturbed, but normal. Do you feel any better? I, I do, actually. I do feel better. You know, I, I had this conversation with my grandmother recently that really helped. She's 93 and has dementia, and I have to tell her we're pregnant every 15 minutes because she forgets. But I was talking to her about my fears and how afraid I've been to start buying baby furniture. Because what if we're tempting fate and the baby dies before it's born and yada, 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 just all my fears. And she stopped me and said, I'm going to do a grandma impression here. You have to move forward like things are going to work out. And if they don't, you can always return the furniture. That's good advice. I feel better now, too, because we're almost into the third trimester and I can feel Yoshi moving every day now. Like, for example, every time I poop, she gives me a little kick from the inside, like, good job, mama. (laughs) So, scary question. Is this a happy ending? Well, it's not over yet. There is one last topic I want to talk about. When we started this project, we didn't know if we were going to get pregnant again, but we did, and it's going well so far. So I wanted to make sure that our happy ending isn't discouraging to other people going through infertility. Yeah, that sounds weird, but I know exactly what you mean. We've been trying to be super candid about infertility as a medical condition because we want to change how it's perceived. But the truth is, most books about infertility are about the couples who had happy endings, and it's kind of a shame the other side never gets represented. Yeah, there's this survivor's guilt thing. Like, would we be releasing this podcast if our implantations hadn't worked? Or if we didn't have the money to do two IVF cycles? Obviously, I'm glad that didn't happen, but I wonder if our three years of infertility will now look quaint and silly to other people out there who have been fighting this fight a lot longer. I don't think there's anything we can do about that, but it's okay. I remember when we talked to John and Sylvia in episode two about comparing infertility stories, we talked about trying to avoid the grief Olympics, and I think this qualifies. This is our story, still in progress, and all we could do was try to tell it honestly. Do you want to share any last anxieties or fears about impending parenthood? No, I think after sharing my diarrhea, masturbation, and ball surgery stories with everyone, I'll just keep those to myself. How about you? Well, if this pregnancy works out, 
Then years down the road, when I'm really angry at our daughter because she's a sassy tween who just called me a bitch for the first time, I hope I can think back to this year when just hearing her heartbeat was my greatest wish in the whole world. I'm so grateful we've come this far, and I hope this podcast has been helpful in some way. been listening to IVFML, a HuffPost podcast. IVFML is written and hosted by Anna Almendrala and Simon Gans, and produced and edited by Nick Offenberg. Artwork by Isabella Carapella. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, leave a rating, or send an email to IVFML at HuffPost.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.